0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking to the mayor of Hamilton about a an idea that he's brought forward that you want to know something is a really good idea. It's called the Order of Hamilton, and he'll explain what it's all about. But thumbs up on this one. We're also going to chat about the budget that caught a lot of people off guard because contrary to what people were expecting, this was not lighting a flamethrower in a field of dry wheat. At least not yet. Doesn't seem like it Anyway. Marvin Ryder will explain what this does mean. And how would you feel? How would you go to work every day if 52 days in a row you failed miserably at what you did? Well, that's what Chris Davis of the Baltimore Orioles is dealing with right now. 52 straight at bats without a hit. It's an all-time major league record. We chat about this one as well. Enjoy.
1: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
0: Yesterday, the mayor of this city announced a new concept for... Good deed doing in this city. If you are one of those people who does lots of good things to help other people out, you may eventually soon, who knows, be eligible, be put up for, be nominated for something called the Order of Hamilton. It's a new idea. And on first glance and on second glance and even on third glance, I thought, wow, that is a really good idea. Let's bring on, I thought, the guy who came up with this. I think he came up with it. He's certainly the one who's brought it forward, Mayor Fred Eisenberger, who joins us now. Mr. Mayor, thanks for doing this today. Good to be with you, Scott. Uh, where did this idea come from?
2: Uh, you know, I've... I've uh, you know, was, uh, Actually, Order of, of Canada has been in existence for quite some time. I think the Order of Ontario has been, and I thought, why not the Order of Hamilton? And uh, let's focus on... Not the uh, the usual, uh, you know, high powered, uh, you know, distinguished citizens that tend to be, you know, well well healed and uh, you know doing you know, major projects or whatever in the community. Let's focus in on everyday folks, unsung heroes that are doing enormously great things in our community on a volunteer basis to help, uh, you know, others in the, in the community. Whether it's uh, you know volunteering in terms of coaching in hockey or baseball or soccer, there I've met so many people that are. You know, thirty years of uh, dedication on a voluntary basis, just for the love of the game and for the love of the kids, or uh, folks that are volunteering in hospitals just to help out. Uh, you know, the greeters, uh, the the folks that are wheeling people from you know operating room to to back to their rooms, or you know, the going going for an X ray. A lot of volunteers in hospitals that wouldn't function without volunteers, and there are some really dedicated people out there that are doing great things, and in. In areas of neighborhood development, we have, uh, you know, neighborhood associations uh, that have been operating for many, many decades. And there's always that one individual that just gives more than everyone else just because they love their community and they love the people in it and everybody loves them. So I want to recognize those kind of unsung heroes out there and uh, give them their due. And uh, acknowledge their uh, good work and, and do that in a, in a presentation uh, at the New Year's Levy with, um, you know, a fairly significant uh, pin and, of course, uh, some, some community recognition.
0: It, it does sound, and again, the explanation that I was able to see was not all that long, which is why I wanted to have you on here, but it does sound yeah. like this is specifically for the non-famous. It's specifically for yeah. the people you would have never heard of otherwise.
2: Exactly. That's that's the whole point is, uh, you know, there are so many people that I bump into and I meet and get introduced to and that uh, that are doing so, so many enormously good things in our community. And it it helps make our community better. And uh, you never, you know, they never get recognition. They never get uh, a story in the paper. uh, You know, it just doesn't happen on a regular basis. So we wanted to, to, to identify about 10 people per year that could be uh, recognized through that process, through the Order of Hamilton, and they'll get a lovely pin, which, you know, is not that's not the biggest issue. It's an indicator of uh, an appreciation for the good work that they've been doing. And they'll be nominated by people in the community. So there'll be nomination forms, and uh, people can nominate anyone, uh, you know, throughout the community. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be picking, uh, you know, 10 individuals, maximum of 10 individuals per, per year. To, uh, to get that kind of uh, you know, recognition that uh, they so long deserve.
0: Uh, you know, it's interesting you talk about that there's going to be a cap on this, because that's, that's truly one of the things that, quite honestly, ruins some awards sometimes when they become so commonplace that they no longer mean anything. It right, seems to exactly. me that it's a good thing if you can keep it to a certain number. So you know, the word elite is something we don't really like too much or exclusive these days, but it helps yeah. that it's elite or exclusive.
2: Yeah, and it's uh, I mean it's uh, you, you you can water down the benefit to people that uh you know if like everybody gets exactly. one then uh, what what's what's the recognition at that point? Everybody's able to get one of those. So, uh, you know, limiting it to uh, you know that 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 really then means that these are significant significantly achieving caring committed dedicated uh, people in the community that have earned this uh, recognition uh, through through all the work they've done over the years. So, I think uh, a limitation, I think, is worthy, and uh, it certainly honors the recognition that we're going to give those 10 people every year as, uh, as being very select and very uh, very rare and uh, and very uh, worthy.
0: And, of course, they will have free parking passes for everywhere in the city and no municipal taxes for the rest of their life. A key to the city, uh,
2: absolutely. <laughs> we'll, give them, we'll give them the... Uh, the uh, the glass hammer.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> See, that's another one. I mean, there are some things, though, that are going on, especially in recent years. And I, w- I want to give credit where credit is due because the city has done a much better job in recent years of finding ways to honor people, either by naming things or the glass hammer that was brought in a while mm-hmm. back. It's something that mm-hmm. it, the city is doing better.
2: Yeah, I agree. And, You know, we we I've been taking a concerted effort of uh, not only doing it across the city but you know making City Hall much more uh, much more friendly space. And so we've got, uh, you know, Adirondack chairs outside now that uh, you know, multicolored that uh, invite people to come. We've got the Hamilton sign up front, which is a nice attraction for people that want to demonstrate uh, to to the friends and family that they bring here that they've been here and they get that photo happening. We have our our gay pride uh uh, trans, uh, uh, Black, Brown, uh, Indigenous uh, walkway. Uh, you know what? Uh, across, going across the, uh, the the King Street here, or Main Street, I should say, to uh, to Summer's Lane, which is an indicator of a, a, a welcoming uh, diversity message that uh, I think is not only colorful but uh, but respects the, uh, the the diversity in our community. So, trying to build in things that are not only interesting, are lively and colorful, but recognizing. You know the different diverse interests that are happening in our community
1: you're listening to the scott radley show podcast on 900 chml
0: we're talking about the order of hamilton pin Medal, whatever it is it's going to be called that the mayor has brought forward uh, mayor fred eisenberger joins us now and interestingly at the very end mr mayor of the note that first came out about this uh, you mentioned the people's champ was that inspired by this by any chance
2: well yes a little bit so we uh, you know we always always want to promote our local barkels hamilton band and uh they they gave us permission to uh actually say uh to use the people's champ at the uh at the uh, mayor's breakfast uh yesterday and so uh, it was part of a video that we put together but i think uh it, it is indicative of uh, the, what the order of hamilton is really all about was which, which is about you know champions for the people out there that are making a difference in our community so it was a nice fit and uh, fortunately, we, uh, the Arkells uh, gave us the authority to use that as well.
0: Was there one person or one moment or one event or one something that really got this thing going for you that inspired this? So at some point, there had to be something that lit the fuse.
2: Uh, to be honest with you, I, I saw, uh, you know, the, uh, the Order of Canada being designated to people and... Uh, In many instances, it's people that uh, that we've never heard of. Uh, You know, sometimes it's obviously notable people as well. uh, You know, artists and uh, folks that uh, that have you know uh, achieved some famous uh, notoriety. uh, You know, have done uh, you know some some great musical uh, you know contribution or acting. But but many of them uh, are folks that you've never heard of that uh, that might be working in a whole bunch of different fields. And it really occurred to me that we don't have anything similar to that. Uh, in the city of Hamilton, we have the Distinguished Citizens Award, which mm-hmm. is fantastic, and uh, you know that's been ongoing for many, many decades. the uh, uh, The Wall of Fame, uh, you know, for folks that have done uh, you know great things in our community, it tends to be high, high profile people that have made significant contributions financially, or you know through other means, through their work, or through development, uh, you know, buildings that they built. But there was never really a category for the everyday person that uh, was never really recognized and never really mentioned. So it it just occurred to me when I was watching the the prime minister uh, handing out the order of uh, Canada. that, uh, you know, this is something that uh, that would be, I think, very worthy of us to do here in Hamilton. It actually happened a couple of years ago. It took us a couple of years to get to it, to be honest with you. Uh, lots of other uh, issues kind of came in the way, and it just came together uh, recently based on uh, our breakfast and happened to be Volunteer Week, so the alignment was uh, just perfect in terms of announcing that and bringing it forward.
0: Now, we do have in this city, and it's a good thing, we have a number of different volunteer awards that people can win. There's Sports Volunteer awards they have a breakfast or dinner or breakfast i can't remember every year they have There's a how is this going to be different from all of those
2: well i mean it's uh it's it's a nomination process and uh the uh, it, it's it's more focused on uh, you know the, the the ordinary folk out there that uh, that are doing great things it's going to be done at the uh, the new year's levy uh the beginning of the year so there'll be 10 10 folks identified for that 10 or less and um, I, I think you know it, it, it's it may not be different but i think it uh, it might provide a bit of a higher profile for people that are doing great things, might inspire uh, volunteerism in our community. And I think that's, uh, that's certainly part of the effort here is to let people know that doing good feels good. And, uh, you know, these folks that we, we would recognize would, uh, would certainly be a testament to that. So uh, I'm not so sure it's radically different. It's just another opportunity for us to do that kind of recognition in our community.
0: Just before I let you go, do we know yet, has it gotten far enough down the road to understand what the process is going to be? Who's going to be doing the picking and who's going to have a say in this?
2: No, and uh, we haven't uh, we haven't entirely flushed that out. I think it, it, it you know we'll have a, a group of five. I would think uh, you know maybe maybe myself and and uh, you know who knows the police chief or the fire chief or you know some some folks that uh, that to have an understanding of the, the breadth of volunteerism that's happening out there, and uh, I think we'll 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 uh, come up with a committee of five to vet these. Uh, at these uh, uh, applications and uh, nominations, and then uh, we'll select from there. So uh, I hope to have all of that in place by June, and then uh, notification will go out uh, uh, you know, to libraries and other places in terms of how one gets nominated uh, through the website and through social media. And then we'll uh, we'll await some uh, what I'm sure will be some uh, some great nominations and probably a very difficult task narrowing it down to 10, 10 individuals because uh, there are probably a lot more people that are worthy as well.
0: Well, uh, as you well know, when uh, when council or the mayor does something that uh, that warrants criticism, you get criticism. But when you do something <laughs> that is really good, you deserve credit as well. And this, I think, is in that latter category. It's a really good idea, oh. and I'm glad you're doing it.
2: Thank you, Scott. I appreciate that, and uh, I am too. And I think uh, I think our community is better for it.
0: Mr. Mayor, thanks for doing this tonight. Thanks, Scott. Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Uh, look, I, how do you how do you go wrong with something like this? Really, I mean, uh, mm, let me stop. Anything can be screwed up. Uh, you start doing it for political reasons, or you start picking people because it's political correctness or all that stuff. It, it, anything could be messed up. But on its face, this idea is a really good idea because the city as i said to the mayor a moment ago the city has done a much better job in recent years at honoring people who have done great things for this city and hopefully will continue to i still think i mean they named the harry howell arena they got the pat quinn arena they've got uh, a, a bunch of other ones they're going to have um Other arenas and fields that are coming out, the Russ Jackson field is coming. Hopefully there will be a Martin Short and a Eugene Levy thing somewhere down the road. There should be. Other ones as well. This is something the city does, is doing better, should continue to do. But you know what? Those are all for big name people. The idea to have something really, really substantial for people who may not be in the public eye but do great things, of course that should exist. And so good for coming up with the idea and let's see how it works out. And let's hope this thing in practice, in, in execution is as good as it is in theory, because in theory, it is a great idea. We'll take a break back after this.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Don't know if you noticed, but today was budget day. Did you catch that at all? Anyone mention that to you? Kind of hard to miss it today. Wasn't it? Because I'll tell you why. Because, yes, today was budget day, but also today was supposed to be, at least this is how it was positioned, this is what we were expecting, today was going to be the day that Doug Ford walked into Queen's Park with a giant scythe and a blowtorch and obliterated everything. This is is how it was positioned. This is what we were hearing. There was going to be such cuts and such slashing and such pullbacks and everything else that literally... Everybody in this province was going to be thrown into the ravages of hardcore suffering and people would die. Now, some of you, Andrea Horvath, if you're out there listening, based on quotes, probably still believe that to be the case. However, I think that most people who saw the budget today probably said, uh, what? That was, that was the budget? That's what we were worried about. I mean, look, everybody didn't get everything they wanted. Nobody ever does in a budget unless certain parties are in power and are buying for a reelection and have billions of dollars to throw around all over the place. But generally, nobody gets everything they want in a budget, but this was supposed to be the budget that was going to be catastrophically deep cutting. And you want to know something? It's not. It's not remotely that. Again, like Doug Ford, hate Doug Ford, that's not the issue. This is not a deep-cutting budget, which is shocking to a lot of people. In fact, here's the most surprising thing. I don't think anyone's going to disagree or take issue with the fact that Doug Ford was elected on a platform of austerity. The deficit, the debt are way out of control. We've got to make cuts. We've got to bring the budget back to balance. It's going to hurt. We're going to do some things. We're going to find some savings, all that kind of stuff. You know all that kind of stuff. And he was elected on that platform. There were other things that Doug Ford obfuscated and wasn't clear on when he went to get elected or when he was running. But the one thing you knew if you voted for him or voted against him was that the budget and balancing the budget was going to be the priority, it seemed, and... So you expected that with a 15, 16, 17 billion dollar, whatever it was, budget deficit, that this was going to be the opportunity that he was going to come in and he was just going to hack and slash. Well, did not, doesn't seem to me as a lay person, doesn't seem to be the case, but let me bring in someone who would know far, far better than I, his name is Marvin Ryder this morning from DeGroote School of Business, by the way, uh, this morning. Marvin was on with Bill Kelly anticipating what we might see in this afternoon's provincial budget. Uh, That budget happened at four today. Mr. Ryder, how close were you in your predictions?
3: (laughs) Well, we didn't get into anything all that specific, but uh, in terms of speculating, I, I had assumed, and this was proven correct, that Doug Ford wasn't going to try to balance the budget in one fell swoop. So for those listening in, he's going to try to get us back to a balanced budget in Ontario over five years, and he's going to do this in two ways. The first is he's he's hoping or gambling if you will on the fact that our gdp is going to grow there will be some inflation and that means revenues for the province will go up go up at the rate about one percent a year and at the same time he's going to cap spending at no more than a one percent increase per year uh and he thinks if he puts those two things together the deficit will come down each year by two to two and a half billion dollars Not by the time he'd come up for election, that would be the fourth year, but in five years, we would be running a small surplus, and that's when we could start to reduce the overall debt that the province had accumulated.
0: Theoretically, and I mean, theory is always theory. We don't know what's going to happen, but theoretically, does that make sense?
3: Absolutely. You know, uh, uh, the Ontario budget is roughly $150 billion a year, add plus or minus a little bit about that. If I could shave a one percent savings, that's one and a half billion dollars in spending. And if I can get about a one percent growth, that's a billion and a half dollars in new money. You put that together over three or four years, yes, you should be able to balance the book. So that's what he's planning.
0: I think I and a lot of other people, I'm guessing, were a little surprised today that when the budget numbers actually came down, the, con- the conservatives next year are going to be spending almost a 1% more than the liberals did in their last budget. I, I mean, I think a lot of people thought this was going to be just a hack and slash, and they're actually going above, for now anyway, a little bit what the liberals spent.
3: Yes, from last year, although if you looked at the budget the Liberals brought down last year, this election budget that they brought down, remember they were taking that budget into the 2018 spring election, they'd actually planned to spend 6% more this year, so when you compare what the Conservatives are spending to what the Liberals said they would spend in 2019-20, it is a significant uh, comeback. But if I can, uh, Scott, let me just tell you, I would say there are three types of things in this budget. There's good news, there's bad news, and then there are distractions. Okay. And there is good news in here. I don't want to cloud this at all. For instance, uh, dental care for seniors, especially if you're a poor senior, free dental care. Now, you have to earn very little money, less than $19,300 as an individual or less than $32,000 as a couple. But wow, you know, dental care is very important. Uh, there is transit spending, $11 billion in the GTA for transit. Um, He has got a child care tax credit. Now, it's a sliding amount depending upon people's income. But if you pay for child care, if you need to pay for that so that people can work, there's going to be some some money and there's going to be some credits for you in that front. He's committed to expanding and and accelerating the creation of 15,000 long-term care beds. This is great news for our hospitals and the overcrowding of these long-term care patients waiting for beds. 15,000 over the next three to four years will make a difference. And then last but not least, it sounds like bad news. He's canceled a 1% cut in the corporate tax rate, but instead what he's decided to do is replace it with tax credits that are going to encourage businesses to invest more. How? They can write off their inbe- investment faster. So that's the great news.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: We're talking with uh, Marvin Ryder from the Nagroot School of Business just before the break. Marvin outlined what the good news is from this budget, and there is some good news, clearly. Uh, but let us jump in now, Marvin. You promised there was some bad news and some distractions. Take it away.
3: Well, let's start with the bad news. And it's, it's kind of hard to explain this to the average person, but what Mr. Ford has announced, or Mr. Fidelity announced as his finance minister, was that they are capping any spending increases to 1% a year. And I say, well, wait a minute, that's a spending increase of 1% a year. That's, that's great news, isn't it? But if I run Hamilton Health Sciences or St. Joseph's Hospital, I'm facing roughly 3% increase in my operating costs every year. That's a combination of human resources costs and the drug costs, what have you. So if you said to me, I'm getting 1%, but I'm capped at, uh, or excuse me, "I'm, I'm, I'm facing 3%, but I'm capped at 1%, how do I make ends meet? So expect to hear the hospitals telling you. They're going to have to do something, and this this is not going to be great news. They won't be able to hire as many nurses, or they may have to cut some other programs, something to try to make it work. Same's same is going to go to education. One percent does not fully fund education, so in essence, what they're going to be doing is taking nearly a billion dollars out of education in the next four years, as we heard before, by seeing roughly 3,400 teachers who retire not be replaced, and that is going to mean small increases in class sizes, et cetera, as we go. And so that's that's the bad news, that even though they're giving you more money, they're not really keeping up with the rate of inflation, and that, again, is how they're going to get to balance.
0: The Okay, so a couple things here. First of all, they were elected, I think it's fair to say elected on an austerity budget, uh, austerity b- platform, which means people expected them and voted them in to do some kind of cutting. It's impossible. What it, is it not realistic? Is it not reasonable to say, okay, we're giving 1% but not 3 everyone has to oh. suck it up a little bit?
3: Look, you know, it could certainly have been much, much worse. This is not like a Mike Harris budget who, in the middle of a year, uh, cut funding to many people, including hospitals and universities, what have you, and left them struggling at that point. He's waited till the start of a new fiscal year. That happened on April 1st. Uh, and, and, yes, he's giving you something. He's not cutting it to the bone. But the little funny wrinkle here, Scott, is that Mr. Ford was elected if you will, without a platform. He didn't actually tell you what he was going to do other than overall, I'm going to cut wasteful spending. And hey, who can't vote for that? I like wasteful spending. But until you define what wasteful is, I think what we're seeing, these protests, what have you, is everyone thinks somebody else should get cut, but not my favorite (laughs) little thing.
0: That is, you just nailed the exact thing with every kind of budget, every time, ever. Any cut, as long as it's someone else, is fine, just not me.
3: Yes, go after those people, go after those people, but not me, and he's spreading it around, everyone's going to face some pain. This isn't great news if I'm in the public sector, but it could certainly be a lot worse.
0: Do you think, it struck me today that I think a lot of people, including the opposition parties, expected that it was going to be much more cutting towards the bone, because some of the quotes today seemed like they were written anticipating something horrendous. Uh, Andrea Horvath today described the budget, saying it was filled with outright cruelty, and I was trying to find the outright cruelty Uh, do you think people were surprised that it wasn't as slashy as people might have thought
3: yes now this may also come back to hunt hunt doug ford because remember again he was elected with no specific platform so folks folks i'm going to balance the books well he's actually not going to balance the books while he's in office he is going to continue to red ink albeit at a slower rate but if you want the books to be balanced, and in fact, the way he's designed this is you've got to re-elect him to get to that point. Will he be cutting fast enough for some of his base? I don't know. Uh, Scott, I also mentioned, by the way, there are distractions. And this budget is filled with distractions meant to take your eye off the ball. Let me quickly go through a couple of those. Shoot. Uh, he was going to allow you to start drinking at 9 a.m. 9 a.m. now rather than 11, 9 a.m. In fact, alcohol and gambling were mentioned 63 times in Vic Fidelli's speech. He seems to have this fixation on alcohol and gambling that I don't understand. He also announced that they're going to start looking at uh, online casino-style gambling, not by Ontario Lottery Corporation, but by the private sector. He wants to do the new license plate designs, the new Ontario logo, which looks a lot like the old logo that we had going back to 1964, only there's a couple of little curves in there. He's also announced that Ontario Place, we thought maybe he was going to announce that he was going to sell it or give it to the private sector instead. Surprise, surprise! It's going to host 90 shows in partnership with Cirque du Soleil. And one more thing, and who doesn't love this, he's pledged to lower insurance costs in Ontario. We've heard that before. We've heard that before. we have. And here's the problem. The government isn't in control of this. It can maybe change a regulatory framework that maybe can cause insurance companies to lower their rates, but how does he actually do this? Really short on those kind of details today.
0: With all the talk about the booze and the gambling, how much money could they actually expect to make on taxes from additional booze sales or additional gambling revenues?
3: Yeah, again, a little hard to know at this stage in the game. Uh, For instance, I don't really know how many people in Ontario feel a need for a drink at 9 in the morning. I suppose shift workers maybe would like to stop in and and decompress. But, you know, uh, certainly with the online gambling, it suggested that the private sector uh, in other parts of the world could see, when you adjust for the population, maybe up to $500 million worth of gambling take place. The government's cut of that would certainly be measured in the tens of millions of dollars.
0: Well, you were on with Bill Kelly this morning very early, Uh, right around 9 o'clock so in the future when you come on with Bill to talk you guys can be having a beer or a whiskey or something while you're doing it
3: exactly or he can be doing a tasting it doesn't have to be me he can be tasting it promoting a winery and enjoying a little glass even at 9 a.m.
0: you and Bill do great work together but I can't wait to hear the two of you together at 9 a.m. when you're both loaded
3: Well, it would take us a little while. We'd have to be doing shots, I think, at 9 a.m. to to get that loaded that quickly. So, look, I say they're distractions because many people are going to jump on these things. If I'm Mothers Against Drunk Driving, this is not the news I wanted to hear. If I'm people from uh, Gambling Anonymous, this is not the news I wanted to hear. So you've got lots of people to jump over them, and they'll fight on these things and miss the bigger headline, which is both good news and bad news. We're headed back to a balanced budget but we're going to do it by restricting the spending. So whoever you are, universities, colleges, hospitals, boards of education, you're going to have to tighten your belt over these next few years. You're going to get some money, but you're going to have to innovate to try to get it back to balance.
0: That is a very sober Marvin Ryder. Appreciate your time (laughs) as always. Thanks for doing this.
1: Glad to be here. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show podcast on 900-CHML.
0: Let me bring in a good friend, Rick Zamprin, who just finished his shift here on the show but is back to talk a little bit about sports. Rick, how are you tonight?
1: I'm fantastic. are you?
0: I'm good. You're stuck. You're not stuck. You've you've settled in front of your TV set and are about to engage in the the beginning of the dream.
4: Ah, we can only hope.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. The TV is on in the studio. The Leafs are opening their playoff series now. Uh, there's been a big change at the Boston Bruins home games now. The guy who was their anthem singer forever, who who was the second most annoying anthem, well, maybe third. The guy in Vancouver who used to have the opera hair was bad. The guy, the OPP officer in Ottawa was bad yeah. as far as annoying, but the guy in Boston took it to a new level of annoyingness. Well, he's retired now.
4: Yeah, you're you're, you're referring to Renee Robert, who uh, was... No, Rene Rancourt.
0: Thank you, uh, yeah, Rene, yeah, Rene Robert was the, bo- the Buffalo Sabre Winger.
4: Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, Mr. Rancourt no longer uh, with the organization of the Boston Bruins. He's uh, upwards of 70-plus years of age, and yeah, he was doing it for decades. And uh, his singing was one thing. The the uh, fist pumps a la Kirk Gibson of the 1988 World Series were another <laughs> thing. If anything, I guess he was entertaining, but... Uh, he wasn't the uh, the main attraction. That's for sure. Well,
0: they've replaced him with a guy who looks like he might be the head of the local mob in in Boston. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he is
4: he's this, dressed all in black with a black and uh, gold tie.
0: He looks and, like a made yeah. man. Quite honestly, uh, I would not. And, and he's enormous. The ice <laughs> may be cracking under this man's feet. I would not want to cross this guy on a dark alley at night. I, he he is a intimidating looking fellow.
4: Yes, in between periods, he is the Zamboni. <laughs> So there's
0: that too. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, we'll see if he does any fist pumps, but boy, uh he is uh he is quite a replacement. They yeah. they they got a discount I I don't know. Uh hey he can um, shoot up for the Patriots, I'll tell you that. Uh, he might. He could be an offensive lineman for the yeah. Patriots. Yes. Uh so what happens here? I mean people are I, I understand that there are some people who are gonna be listening to the show and having the, the game on. Hopefully they're staying with us, but some people are just gonna go and I get that it's the beginning of the at least playoffs. But yeah. uh, what's gonna happen here?
4: Well, there, there's two things that can happen. Either the Bruins win or, or the Leafs win, and, and there's a lot more to it than that.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, thank you for bringing on such deep insight. That's why I have you here, yes. for that kind of insightful commentary.
4: Yes, but it, but it, but it's the way the two teams mm. will, we think, are going to win. Now, Boston, as we know, is a very talented team. They have probably the best line in hockey with Patrice Bergeron, David Kosterdach, and Brad Marchand. Uh, we've combined for 260 points in the regular season, just phenomenal. All 30 plus goals, all all world players, and uh, you know they have a, a, an aging defenseman in Zdeno Chara, a an above average goalie in Tukarask. Rask, uh, and they will win if that top line dominates the Leafs like they did in last year's playoffs, like they have pretty much for this regular season, and the Leafs will win if they can get well a couple things. Number one, through their supposed mental uh barrier of you know can we uh, actually beat this boston bruins team in a playoff series and number two their best players have to be their best players uh and and that includes austin matthews and mitch marner and john tavares who was not a part of this series last year so if the leafs can get past their mental barrier and their best players play as their best players they have a shot at winning if not the boston bruins have a very Good shot at winning this series.
0: Here's what I don't get about this series right off the bat, and that is all the talk so far has been about Mike Babcock and who's he going to match up with and who's he going to... It's as if... To me, the Leafs have the better lineup. They have the deeper lineup. They have the better players top to yeah. bottom. I mean, that Boston line is terrific for absolutely sure. Chara is a very good defenseman still. But the Leafs, I, I'm looking at this going, why are the Leafs the ones saying we have to match everything Boston is doing and we're the ones on the defensive and we're the ones who are scrambling? To me, it should be you should be putting Boston in the position to say, you match us. Yeah, and we say that, and 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 you're probably true, but you know the fact of the matter is that the Bruins
4: finished second in the division, so that means they won more games, they had more points, so despite their, I guess, supposed inefficiencies, they're still, uh, I guess, in terms of points and wins, the better team. But yeah, I agree with you. On on paper, the depth, especially of the Maple Leafs up front and their forward units, uh, I think their two goalies are somewhat of a soft, both Anderson and Raskin, if, if they play you know to the best of their capabilities uh the defense core i think are, are rather very similar i know the leafs defense score has been called porous and inadequate and a lot of times and a lot of nights that is true but it, it's not like boston's defensive unit is uh you know the the, the all-time best shut down uh, six or seven guys out there i mean they have their uh, uh their disadvantages as well so i think these are two well-matched teams but i think the leafs do have a lot more depth up front especially with The addition of Tavares. And let's not forget, you know, last year, this Leafs lineup was pretty much led by a line that included Tyler Bozak, who's now in St. Louis, and James Van Rinsdijk, who's now in Philadelphia, two guys who are no no longer in the lineup. And you you had role players at that point of the season uh, in Andreas Janssen and Kasperi Kapanen, two guys who are coming off 20-goal regular season campaigns. So much more balanced scoring with the Leafs. We'll see if that pans out over the next, uh, who knows, four to seven years.
0: Well, we will say one other thing, though. Uh, Tyler Bozak, who's no longer here, man, he, he played last night. They had their first game against the Jets. Yeah. That guy was great. Like, for yeah. a guy that was a discarded player, yeah. boy, you get into the playoffs and suddenly you're saying, why did the Leafs just throw this guy? I mean, I know it was money. I get it. I mean, I, you can only fit so much in. But, boy, when the playoffs come, he seems to all of a sudden wake up.
4: You know, he's always been a great face-off guy. He's always been responsible in his own end. Uh, he's always had... Uh, not not necessarily the flair for the dramatic, but he has scored some goals in his career, and last night was was no exception. With about two minutes left, or I think it was even under two minutes, he scored the eventual game winner. So and he yeah, could have uh, had four. He could have had yeah, four yeah, or yeah, five last he night. Was, he was terrific, he was all over the place. Yeah, and that you know, our Blues team is a good team, and he's a major part of
0: it. Let, now, as I say, we're not going to spend too much time in the Leafs because I figure that. Those people who are really interested are probably already watching it. So why are we going to spend too much time on it? Well, we're not. Uh, Let me jump to a couple other things, though, that I want to get to in the world of sports. There may not be a more compelling story right now uh, than what's happening in Baltimore with Chris Davis. This guy's the first baseman for the Orioles. At one time, he was potentially the most feared power hitter in all of baseball. Didn't always get a hit for a great average, but man, when he would hit a lot of home runs, he would drive in a lot of runs, and he hit it a mile. He has gone since September 18, I believe it is, of last year. He's now 0 for 52, and that's not even counting the walks. I mean, if you go just plate appearances, he's probably up to about 70 straight plate appearances without a hit. It is a stunning thing to imagine living as him and having to wake up every day and come to the park every day facing that.
4: What might be even sadder than this is that last year I drafted Chris Davis on my fantasy <laughs> team, and I, I kept him for at least two months, hoping, wishing, and praying that he would snap out of this funk. last year, which wasn't as bad as it is this year. Uh, it is uh, For him to wake up every day, go to the ballpark, and wonder, man, is this going to be the day, uh, has to be an excruciating feeling because he, as you mentioned, was an amazing home run hitter. I mean, he always hit for, you know, 230, 240, 220 around there. But he would hit for, you know, 35, 45 home runs. So, I mean, he was a feared middle-of-the-order uh, slugger for, for the Baltimore Orioles for many years. And all of a sudden, well, not maybe not all of a sudden, it started last year, maybe even the year before that, he started to lose, uh, whether it was bat speed or uh, his batting eye wasn't the same. But now he just can't buy any luck. And that mental block, talk about the Maple Leafs' mental barrier, Chris Davis' mental block must be like a monolith, because he just can't get anything going.
0: Well, he, it was three years ago, he was a free agent, and there was talk, should the Jays be putting in a bid to try and get this guy, have him at first, big power hitting first baseman, would look great in Rogers Center with that porch and everything else. Man, every team that probably toyed with the idea of signing Chris Davis has got to be just breathing a sigh of relief, because he has... I think it's ninety-six million dollars left on his contract over the next three and a half years. I mean, it's it's a rem, it's a remark. It might be the worst contract in sports history, which is yeah. saying something, because there have been some bad ones. But it's 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 just a horrendous situation.
4: And the thing is, uh, you know, if you're the owner of the Orioles, you're, you're paying this guy millions of dollars. If you're the general manager, you, he's untradeable at this point. Oh yeah, you can't you can't even discard him. You might as well hold on to him because uh, you're going to have to eat the contract, so you might as well play the guy. Uh, and if you're the coach, you're thinking, man, or, or the manager, you're thinking, do I put this guy out here? Like he's he's not giving me anything. But if you're paying him all those dollars, you're almost forced to to play him. So I mean, Baltimore is in a rock and a hard place. Well, and l- they're l- just hoping that he snaps out of it.
0: Let me ask you that question: The Blue Jays are paying 48 million dollars for Russell Martin, uh, Troy Tulawitsky, and Josh Donaldson not to play for them. Yeah. If you were Baltimore, just to get the guy, you, I mean, he's not going to help you right now. It's such a mental block. I don't know that he's ever going to get over it. Now in Baltimore, would you pay him and say, "Hey, to some team here, pay him two million of the twenty-three million a year we've got for him. Just give us something and see if a fresh start." I, I, I'm. If I was a team that was in contention, I would. If it was costing me basically nothing, I would almost think of doing it. Just thinking, you know what, a fresh start. This guy might just get something going and give us something here because he certainly it can't be worse than this
4: yeah the only downside of that for the team that's getting him is because he has term on his deal I mean he's not mm-hmm. he's not signed for just one more year you know is the team is Baltimore willing to uh you know swallow most of that contract or well are they just gonna say hey you know we'll pay the rest of this year and maybe next year and you'll have to get the next one or two or whatever. that would be the be condition that, that
0: would be the condition yeah. if they're gonna but if, if sorry go ahead
4: if you're the Yankees or the Red Sox or the, you know the Indians or the Astros, one of the the top contenders in the American League, because I don't see him going to the National League, because now you can use him as a DH, you don't have to play him in the field. Um, I can see one of those teams making a run late in the season, obviously before the trade deadline, to say, yeah, we'll take a stab at this guy.
0: Yeah, you pay twenty two of the million, we'll pay one. We'll just take them off your hands. And, I mean, look, if nothing else, probably the Orioles have someone else in their farm system that they would look and say, you know, look, we'd love to get the guys some playing time. This is why the Jays got rid of Tulowitzki and and Donaldson and and Martin. We've got guys, but we've got all this money invested. We can't have them just sitting on the bench. And so, you know, if Baltimore's got a first baseman or a DH that they want to get some time, maybe they do it.
4: Uh, you know what? I wouldn't doubt it because there, there comes a point in everyone's career where uh, they know their best before date is coming up. And, and Chris Davis might be past that date, uh, given what he's done this season. Um, there's going to have to be another player in this in this equation because I, I just don't see the Orioles saying, all right, we're going to pay the rest of your contract for you to just do nothing. They're going to want to get at least something. And, and there's no doubt about it. There's young guys. In the Orioles system, you know, Trey Mancini is a great example of a guy who's come up over the last couple of years where he might not have the power numbers of a Chris Davis or even a Brady Anderson back in his day, but he's, a you know, an up-and-coming kind of outfielder that Baltimore is going to build their team around, and they will might have to say, hey, Chris, no, we're going to trade you because we want to stock up the, the prospect uh, cabinet. And, uh, and away you go. But the other side of the equation has to come to the table, and I just don't see that, at, at least at this point of the
0: season. Brady Anderson, there was another guy like that for Baltimore. Man, one year, yeah. 50 home runs, and then, uh, oh, yeah, that stuff isn't allowed anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that said, could you imagine, and, and, I mean, apply this to anything, any any business, any job, any anything, could you imagine if whatever it was that you did for a living, you were – Failing day after day after day after day with no end in sight and doing it publicly. I mean, it would be, look, I know he's making millions of dollars and that is going to balm the wound a little bit. I get that. But still, man, that would be tough to just deal with day after day.
4: Psychologically, I mean, uh, say you're a goalie, whether it's the NHL, AHL, OHL, and every day you are uh, allowing in goals aplenty or you're not getting wins. You no, know, there's a pitcher for the Mets. I don't remember his name. I think his last name was uh, was Wright. Uh, DeLon Wright comes to my nose. Former Raptor, uh, where he just could not win every every single game. You know, he had another loss, and he I think set the record for most consecutive losses by a major league pitcher. And uh, that psychological kind of oh my gosh, is this ever going to go my way? Uh, you know, obviously these you know these pro athletes get to this stage because they are mentally tough, psychologically prepared. You know, they they get help. In that regard, to you know, toughen up mentally and focus on you know being number one, and you know envision the process and and envision being successful. Uh, and Davis was there at one point, but for some reason he's not there anymore, and it's it's interesting to to, to kind of find out why. He's kind of lost that mental edge.
0: But even beyond that, I mean, imagine you're an accountant and 50 clients in a row, you hand them back their books and there's a mistake that's significant or that you're, or you do what you do and you're on the air and every day you're screwing up names of people. I mean, and you don't, but I mean, it just, at a certain point, it really has to, I don't care how much you're being paid. It has to start eating you up.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Anyway, it's, it's, it's shocking, and, and he, he was another 0 for 3 today. They played this afternoon, so, um, you know, by, he, he, he has the all-time record already. He's now closing in on the worst-ever streak to start a single season because this one goes back to last year. Wow, he's not there yet. <laughs> Here's the last thing on this topic before we move along. What happens when he gets a hit? If you're Chris Davis, and I know that neither of us have gone through something quite like this, but when yeah. you're Chris Davis, when he gets a hit, Do you run to first base and put your head down and just keep a straight face? Do you throw up your hands and celebrate a bit and have some fun with it to just ease the pressure? What what do you do?
4: Well, kind of, you know, seeing him throughout his career, he's not a very emotional guy. He doesn't really show his emotions on his sleeve. But, you know, a drought like this, I would imagine he's at least going to give a smile or a smirk or or maybe even a sigh of relief or kind of blow off a little steam with a big huff. Um, but aside from that, I don't really see him, you know, chugging down to first. Well, you know, arms raised like he just hit uh, uh, a World Series winning home run. a lot Joe Carter. I think it's going to be uh, certainly a monkey off uh, off his shoulders. That's for sure.
0: You know what I'm predicting? Before he gets a hit, he's going to drive a. He's going to scorch one to right field and get thrown out at first base. <laughs> just because that's the way, to the the right fielder will pick it up on a bounce and throw him out at first, because that's the that's the kind of luck he's been having.
4: Well, you know, knowing baseball, it's going to be some kind of dribbler to the mound where you know the pitcher kind of you know loses sight of it. It's going to be some kind of weird thing. I can see that for sure.
0: Or it'll be a six hundred and ninety foot home run that lands <laughs> yeah. in Washington D.C.
1: Exactly.
0: Uh, just before I let you go, one really interesting story today that I wanted to ask you about. We never even got to the Masters here, um, but the CFL Players Association and the CFL is right now in negotiations or allegedly, supposedly in negotiations to, to come up with a new contract because their uh, deal ends April 20, sorry, their deal, I don't know when their deal ends, but the camp's open May 18. The yeah. CFL has now walked away from negotiations, says, yeah, we're busy. We're not going to have another talk for two weeks. We're going to put this off until April 29. So two weeks basically before training camps open. What is? What are they doing? What's going on?
4: That's really late in the game because the current CBA, uh, expires the day before training camp okay. begins. So yeah, that, that's leaving it really late in the game. Now, what we don't know is how much, if any, progress that they've made. Uh, but uh, even saying that, uh, I don't envision them being close to a new collective bargaining agreement. There's a lot of stuff to hammer out. Um, so for the CFL to say, Hey, you know, we're going to pump the brakes for a couple of weeks. That to me. Is a red flag and maybe even a tactic, uh, from the ownership group to say, hey, you know, let's uh, turn the screws a little tighter on the players association and see, uh, if we can get some concessions that we're looking to get by, you know, stalling these negotiation process. If that's the plan and if that's, you know, the case, but I can't really envision anything else. Other than that, because, you know, when you have two sides who want, you know, a, a deal that's going to help both sides, they're going to continue to negotiate. So any kind of delay or postponement to me is uh, is an alarm bell. It,
0: it just seems so weird because you've got a, uh, I don't know if it's a crisis, it's not a crisis, but you've got a situation in Montreal with the team apparently being sold to the league right now. Now the league, we're told has a buyer yeah. if they go through all the process, but still you've got a league, that, a team that's in flux. You've got the Argos that um you know they're the Argos uh this is not a league that across the board is on such firm foundations everywhere that you would say oh you know the league can start playing games with the players and try and squeeze them this is I don't know that you want to create more problems for yourself than you already have Uh,
4: you know what and and the last thing I think this league wants uh especially from a player's perspective is you know you just have the AAF fold before their season ends you really want to It's off football fans north of the border by delaying the start of either training camp or the preseason or the regular season. I mean, uh, they they know that, uh, you know, players in the CFL don't get paid a whole heck of a lot unless you're a premier quarterback in this league. So there's there's not a lot of fans who would side with the ownership group because, uh, you know, ticket prices have gone up. Uh merchandise isn't cheap and they know that the players aren't multi-millionaires, fans are going to side with the players 99 times out of 100, so I don't see this as being a uh, a winnable solution for the owners and for the league if they want to kind of you know, pressure the PA into a deal that they don't
0: want. If the players had walked away from this, if the players association had walked away, I could actually look at this and say, you know what? They don't like the long training camp, even though it's not that long a training camp. They don't want to have to do all that. They come to camp pretty much ready. They're okay. They're just going to delay it and the season is going to start. But this is not the players walking away. This is the owners and and the league. And I I, I just don't. I mean, maybe there's some explanation that I'm missing, but I just don't see how this is a good look for the league right now, especially when they're doing all this other stuff with expansion drafts of German players and all yeah. this other, it, it, it appears that their attention is focused on all the wrong things right now. Funny you mentioned that too, because in the NFL, in the AFC East, they are going to
4: be adding an international player uh, on their practice rosters. So that really steals a lot of the thunder From the CFL's kind of uh, you know plan to say, hey, listen, we're going to open up kind of the sea of players that are going to be available from Europe, and we'll get some sort of broadcast deal because we're going to showcase those players. Well, lo and behold, now the NFL is saying, yeah, we'll tap into the European market as we did way back when with you know NFL Europe with our London series. Um, So yeah, the CFL has a, a lot of work to do. And uh, they just can't muck up this uh, negotiation process.
0: And as we say goodbye to Rick this evening, uh, Patrice Bergeron just scored on the power play for Boston. Yeah. So uh, your prediction, over, Scott. Three yeah. three over. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Sanford, thanks for the time. We'll it. let Rick get back to watching hockey. One nothing Boston midway. Well, early, still early. Nah, midway through the first period, but it was a power play goal. So apparently, uh, Leafs shouldn't be taking any more penalties.
1: The Scott Radley Show weekday evenings from six to eight on nine hundred CHML.